Well, good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can be turning to the 123rd Psalm, Psalm 123. And as you're turning there, if you have your outline in front of you or your notes, you may want to write down that number. I realized even just a few moments ago that somehow in all the outline that we had there, I didn't actually write the psalm that we're going to cover today. Uh, so you may want to jot that down if you'd like to take notes or following along in our bulletin. We are truly grateful that you are here. I want you to know that. I, I truly feel that way. We're thankful for those who are able to be back with us, some again, uh, even folks like Miss Gale who uh, were just in the hospital a couple days ago but are back with us, others. Good to see Miss Bobby again. It's hard to name everyone each time, but we're so thankful for all those who make it here as they can. Uh, I especially feel that way this morning. I would agree 100% with you. I know you feel this way. It's one of those days that most of us would probably just rather be at home in the dark in bed. We had that moment in our house this morning. Uh, we have, of course, our, our blinds, you know, drawn and, and shades drawn. And, and uh, the five-year-old somehow ends up in bed with us most nights in the middle of the night. And so we keep it nice and dark in there. So maybe he'll, he'll sleep a little bit longer. So this morning I got up and got out of bed and went to the living room. And Hannah got up and, and got out of bed and came to the living room. And she said, boy, it sure is dark in there. And I said, yeah, I know. It feels like one of those good days with the rain and the cloud cover just to be inside. But I say that to you as well because I, I, really, I really mean that. I'm really glad that you're here. It's encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you, uh, not only in the time we spend together in fellowship, but hopefully you have gained something from our Bible class hour, if you were with us, from the study there, and also to gain something not only from the lesson, but just in general in our worship, as Brother Robert talked about just a few moments ago. And again, I, I share that with you for another reason. I, I saw, I think it was this morning, I guess, uh, or maybe even last evening on social media post, and I don't know, you know how 100% true that it is, but someone shared a picture of a billboard. They said it's up in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, uh, but it's by the Freedom From Religion group, if you're familiar with them, and the billboard just simply said, sleep in on Sunday. And it's that idea that most of the world would promote for us that it's just better to sleep in. It's just better, especially on a rainy Sunday when you'd rather just be, be at home in bed, just sleep in. On Sunday, but you've chosen to be here, and we're thankful for that. Uh, last Sunday, due to several reasons, we were down a, a good number, several sick, several traveling. I think we already almost beat our number from last Sunday just with our class this morning, so that is encouraging, but we're grateful for an opportunity to worship together and hope that it's been beneficial for you so far. We are talking about the Psalms. If you recall, a couple of Sunday nights ago, the first Sunday of the month, we took a look at our Book of the Month Club, as we have been calling it, going through every book of the Bible just a month at the time, and we were up to the Psalms. And I thought, well, since there's 150 of them, what a better thing to do than cover just four of them. And it's really been a challenge and a bit for me, in a way, to try to just pick four out of the 150 to look at. Uh, but we have tried to do that. We started with the first Psalm, and we're going to kind of work our way through several and if you recall, I've mentioned to you or shared with you that I have taken a book from my library by, by our brother Adam Fawn that preaches up in the Kentucky area called Hymns of the Heart. You're always welcome to that because it covers a lot more than just four, but I've kind of been using that for some thoughts and ideas and appreciate uh, his thoughts and guide through some of the Psalms. And this morning, we're going to look at one that you're probably not as familiar with. As we think about the Psalms, I ask you to turn to Psalm 123, but if you did, you might have noticed that that begins a section of scripture really with the 120th Psalm. We know Psalm 119. I say we know it. We don't have it memorized because it's so long. But we are familiar with Psalm 119 and the beautiful way that it speaks about the word of God. But we begin right after that in Psalm 120. And we go through Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, about 15 Psalms. And they're titled often the Psalms 
or songs of ascent. Now, when we had our Book of the Month Club a couple of Sunday nights ago, we discussed this briefly. We talked about the idea that some of them have titles, and these are some right here, this collection of psalms called the Songs of Ascent, or depending on the version that you're having or the version you have in front of you or what you might know, it, they may be called the Songs of Degrees or the Songs of Degree. We're familiar with the idea that they are commonly believed to have been sung, songs that were sung, as the people would come to Jerusalem for the feast. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, in verse number 6, 1 Chronicles 13, 6, the Bible records for us, and David and all Israel went up. That's an important thing, especially as we talk about our lesson this morning. 1 Chronicles 13, 6, and David and all Israel went up to Bala to Kirith-Jerim, which belonged to Judah, here's the same kind of concept, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim where his name is proclaimed. We're familiar with the idea of the ark, but here it is being carried up. And so we think of this idea of bringing up. So some people believe that maybe these songs, the songs of ascent, were sung by the priests as they were actually going up, bringing up the steps into the temple. Or, of course, as we're going to see this morning, it's possible that it's just simply the idea of up. The idea of underscoring our praise to God. We look up. We might even sometimes raise our hands up. But we think about God and we commonly say the idea of up. But even that means praise, the idea of praise with it. And so these were songs of ascent. You're familiar with some of these, even if you didn't know them. They're all very short. If you look, many of them are just four, five, or six verses long, but you are familiar with part of them. The 120th Psalm begins with where the people are crying out in distress, but they knew that God would answer. The 121st Psalm, you know the first verse, even if you may need a little help beginning it. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. There is the worshipers lifting up his eyes to the hills, seeing the Lord and finding assurance in him. You know, I know you know, the 122nd Psalm and verse number 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There is now joy as these songs even almost build up, if you will. These, there is now joy that begins, I was glad when they said to me. So the psalmist, his eyes are now on Jerusalem. And the temple. And in the 123rd Psalm, the ascent continues because the worshiper looks only to the Lord. Now, we mentioned briefly before the idea of titles, and you may have a title in your Bible, I do in mine, that says the 123rd Psalm is a psalm for relief. I don't like to come here, I don't like to, for us just to kind of harp on the world and the terrible things of the world and how down and depressing the world can be sometimes, but it certainly is the case that often we come here for respite, for, for a chance to enjoy some fellowship, to not have to worry about all the things going on in the world. We come here so that we can praise God and not have to think about the trouble sometimes, but it is encouraging to know that when we walk out those doors and we go face the world, that we can look to the Lord, that we can be glad, that we can live life in him and through him and through his son. And so as we think about the 123rd Psalm this morning, it may be one that you, you've not even read. 
If you've been working through the Bible this year, we've asked you to do that and sign our banner that's outside there, outside the doors on the wall. If you've done that, you might have read it. But I would be willing to bet that this would certainly be one that you might have just kind of passed over before. I mean, four verses, we're going to hit it real quick. We're going to move on, check that one off, we're good. It's easy. But let's consider for just a few moments this morning this psalm for relief. And as we think about the relief that we feel sometimes in looking to God, we will say, first of all, as our title says... We want to think about raising our eyes to God. You see, the key is found here. The key is found in the end of the second verse. As the psalmist says, O you who are enthroned in heaven. O you who are enthroned in heaven. Where do we go? Well, our eyes should go to God. We talked about this last Sunday morning as we think about as we thought about another psalm, we, Charles sang the song for us last Sunday night. We sang it together. Where could I go but to the Lord? O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Where can we go? We go to him. By writing about the throne of God, we are reminded of two great attributes of the God who reigns in heaven on his throne. As we think about raising our eyes to God, as the psalmist says here in the beginning, Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. And I have the New King James here in front of me as I usually do. But we're reminded about two great attributes. Number one, as we think about raising our eyes to God who is on his throne in heaven, we're reminded of his majesty. You might put your finger there or a marker and turn to Revelation. Revelation chapter 4. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 4, the title in my Bible, and I know they're not inspired, but the title here of mine says, The Throne Room of Heaven. We can go and read and think about His majesty. There are so many things that are pointed out there in Revelation chapter 4. We don't have time to touch on all of them this morning. But there is certainly the idea of light. There is the idea of precious jewels. And all of these things are surrounding Him. They're surrounding his glorious ways and they're praising him. And so sometimes we sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, After all these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And even at the end in verse number 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created we are reminded of his great majesty we've mentioned this recently in a few different studies even on wednesday night in our bible class here in the auditorium but so often our leaders so often the people that we hold up not only amongst our government maybe in that kind of way but even among our congregations Certainly in the denominational world, people are held up as great beacons of faith. And it comes out later that maybe they weren't quite the people that they professed to be. None of us are quite as perfect as maybe we, maybe we cause people to think or some people think of us sometimes. But we recognize that there is no great majesty in the preacher or the elders, but there is great majesty in God. He is enthroned in the heavens, and where could we go but to the Lord? We are thankful for his great majesty, but secondly, we're thankful as we think about this idea of being enthroned, we're thankful for his justice. On his throne reminds us that he is the judge, and we're reminded that all, there's that word we talk about sometimes, all 
earthly leaders and nations are under his eye. Does that apply to 2021? Is that helpful in 2021 as we think about our nation and the nations around us and around the world? Absolutely. He will judge all and he is a perfect and righteous judge. I like to consider myself a good judge sometimes. I think I do okay. I hope I'm right about things and would judge rightly, but God is the true, perfect, and righteous judge. All earthly leaders and nations are under his eye, and we can take comfort as we think about that and him being on his throne. Now, if you were just to take the rest of verse number two and not really pay attention or or put it in context, it'd probably make you a little uncomfortable. It might even be one of those verses that people would point, at some, point out sometimes to try to cause a problem or a discrepancy. But verse 2 says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress. This is an uncomfortable thought sometimes for people. The idea of a slave to a master or a maid or a slave to her mistress Thankfully, just not too long ago, we preached about this and had a lesson and talked about the idea of slavery in the Bible or slavery and God and the difference between the way that our country in particular, I mean, really the United States and with our history thinks about it and the way the Bible speaks about it. But if we're not careful that people would look at verse two and say, well, there's a problem here, right? Because here it is again, it's talking about slavery and God is okay with slavery and all these things. It's a bit of an uncomfortable comparison until we realize the rest of it. The rest of verse 2 says, So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. We keep our eyes on the Lord till he has mercy on us. And there is the concept here, certainly, that we may have to wait on his mercy. There may come a time where we have to wait on his mercy. Yeah, I understand Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations 3.23, you know that one as well because we sing it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. That's true. That's true. But sometimes it may take some time in our life for us to realize or recognize his mercy. Still, we keep looking to the Lord. Even when we feel down, even when we feel upset or bothered by the world and these things, still we keep looking to the Lord. We raise our eyes to him. Why? Because he is the only one who can provide mercy. He is the only one who can help us. And that is a wonderful thought, again, if you will think about these psalms. Go back to Psalm 121. that The psalmist here needed to know protection. If he needed to know protection, what did he do? He looked to the hills that the Lord had made. Psalm 122, he wanted to praise God. He wanted to be near him. So what did he do or say? He said, I'm glad to go to the temple to be near him. Psalm 123, the psalmist says, I need mercy from the one in control. So I'm going to go to the throne. Because even though we may have to wait, Even though we may face trials and struggles, we recognize that he is the one. If we will keep our eyes to him, recognize his majesty and his justice, even though there may come a time in our life that we feel like we have to wait, our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. We are thankful that he is enthroned in heaven. Where else could we go 
but to the Lord. And so as we think about verses 1 and 2, the first part of this psalm, raising our eyes to God, we think secondly this morning in the, the big fashion about requesting mercy from God. So in the second half of this psalm, the psalmist realizes he needs to raise his eyes to the throne of God to seek mercy. So in the second half, he's going to plead for mercy. In the back half of the poem or the song here, requesting mercy from God. It is something that we are familiar with, this concept, this idea. And so it's familiar to us, even as we talk about it in our own lives and the need for mercy. You know, we don't have time this morning, but we go over to the New Testament and we think about the parables that Jesus told, even as we've talked about parables over the last few months. And there are several that teach us the idea of mercy. And so as we are looking to him, we realize as well that we must request mercy from God. And so we see, first of all, that there is the request here. Twice, twice in verse number three, have mercy on us. O Lord, have mercy on us. He repeats it. He understands we can feel the desire and the plea from the psalmist toward God to have mercy on him. Twice it's mentioned there. This word mercy is, is Hanan in the, in the original language. And it's translated sometimes graciously given. Think about this with mercy. It's translated sometimes this word graciously given given it's also translated gracious it's also translated to be favorable well why is that important well it kind of gives us a bit of a clearer picture as we think about the concept of mercy graciously given gracious be favorable he is asking God to give gracious favor to give gracious favor not that they have the right to anything you know, we live in a world, I think, that's increasingly that way or, or the opposite way of what the psalmist is saying here. Uh, once again, on social media last night, I saw a post from a, a friend where I grew up, a person who's a teacher. They were, were talking about the idea that sometimes today in the world, parents are raising children who, who feel like they are owed things. They deserve certain things. They're not deferential. They're not respectful to their teachers or the authorities, but they feel like they're owed certain things. And then that, that's the way it should be. You need to give me these things because of who I am. But the psalmist here is painting the picture of requiring or requesting God's gracious favor, not that they deserve it, not that they have the right to anything, but leaning instead on the grace of God for favor since he is the only one who can grant it. Go back again to verse number 2. And this helps us a little bit as we think about verse 2. And it's a bit of a nod back to the slave and the master. Not that they had earned it, but by the gracious favor of the master. Notice as well that it is a request, not a demand. We would point that out simply because it seems in verse number 3 that he calls out the name of God, O oh Lord. Sometimes when people today are, are demanding something, they feel like they've earned it, it's their right. They don't treat that person that they're talking to with respect. They say, you're going to give me what I deserve. The psalmist here sort of paints the other side of that in that he is praising God and then requesting God and showing him the respect. Have mercy, please, O Lord. As a person who is in a lower position, his throne is mentioned because he is to be approached with respect. Have mercy on us, O Lord. 
But we would notice in the second place here the reason why they're requesting mercy. And here's where we're going to begin to drive some of the main point here home for us this morning and take some application to our lives. Why why is the psalmist making this request? Why would we make this request even today? The reason? Well, this is not some hollow request because the psalmist says there, for we, and depending on your version at verse number three, for we have had more than enough. The New King James says, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. We have had more than enough. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful this morning, and as long as I live here on this earth, <clears throat> excuse me, that the Bible writers write the way that I feel. I mean, it's by inspiration, but so often, especially in the Psalms, we see people who are writing with the same way that we feel. It's not someone that's above our head. It's not someone that we can't understand, but it's someone who seems to connect and recognize exactly the way that we feel about things. Because they're pointing out here that while he is still praising God, we've had enough. I mean, that may be the way that you feel this morning. I'm here, God, and I'm praising you, but I've had more than enough of this world. I have had more than enough of the trouble of everyone around me. And if we're not careful, we sometimes get turned around and it becomes a bit of wanting revenge. I think we could preach another sermon about that quite often or another time and go into that. But, but it's the idea with sometimes we look at the world and we think, well, everybody else deserves their punishment. I sure wish they would get what's coming to them. God, I'm praising you, but would everybody else just, would you give them some trouble instead of just me? But we're thankful even though through that that we won't maybe become that way. But we're thankful that God, we can go to God and we can praise him and yet share with him that we've had enough. We've had more than enough. We are exceedingly filled with contempt. You know, sometimes our cup overflows from the goodness of God. We go back and everybody loves the 23rd Psalm. We go back to the 23rd Psalm, verse 5, and we think about this. Sometimes our cup overflows with the goodness of God. But sometimes our cup overflows from the bitterness of others. I mean, if we're being honest, we've all felt that way. And we might still again, because sometimes in this life, the wicked prosper. It rains on the just and the unjust. People who we know are living sinful lives have good things that happen to them. And so we feel exceedingly filled with contempt. And to make it worse, I mean, really to make it worse at the end here... The psalmist says at the end of verse 4 that this contempt, this trouble that they feel is coming from those who are at ease, from those who are proud. So the psalmist is saying exactly what we feel and that sometimes the trouble is coming from those who seem to have it all together. I mean, we're struggling. Life is hard. Things are going wrong and we feel like we are always struggling yet other people seem to have it all together. And the psalmist is crying out, have mercy on us, O God. Have mercy on us, O Lord, because we are exceedingly filled with contempt. We have had enough. Can we pray what the psalmist is praying here? Can we have these thoughts crying out, looking up for mercy even amongst the trial. In fact, you know, some people would say, that's great. I mean, that's great that the psalmist can say this, but, but that's the Old Testament. You know, that's the Old Testament here, and the, the psalmist is saying this, but, but can we have the attitude of the psalmist? We get fed up sometimes. Where do we turn? If we're not careful, we will get fed up, and we will turn to the sinful ways of the world. 
They seem to have it all figured out. They're at ease. They're proud. Let's just go that route because it's got to be better than this. When we are fed up and we are exceedingly filled with content, we've had more than enough, what are we to do? Can we sing like the psalmist does here, have mercy on us, O Lord? Well, I'd point out something that's interesting as we think about crying out to God. It is the Old Testament. It is the Psalms. What's interesting about that is that the Old, the Old Testament people had rituals. They had feasts. They had sacrifices. They had to go through all these things, and only then, at the very end, could they feel just a little bit close to God. But do you know what we have? We have access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the Old Testament, and yeah, the psalmist could say those things, but we have it so much better because we have access to the throne of God through Jesus. You think about the priestly system and the priests having to do these things and the sacrifices and the blood and the feasts and all these things. They had to go through all that, and yet they could just then maybe barely feel close to God. But we can approach his throne boldly. In fact, if you have your Bible, one final passage, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. As we think about this concept of having it better, of not having to worry about sacrifices, blood sacrifices, feast, but being able to approach the throne of God, the Hebrew writer says it best. Seeing then, Hebrews 4, 14, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, because of what he went through, let us then come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you recall, if you know your, your Bible history, your New Testament, the Hebrew writer was writing to those Christians who had been Jews and converted not to go back to Judaism. Hebrews is pointing out the better. We oftentimes have said that. Hebrews is talking about the better. Jesus was the better high priest. He's the better sacrifice. And so he's writing to them not to go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the feasts. Don't go back to the sacrifices. Well, Judaism is not really a problem for us, probably going back to Judaism. But can we turn away from God? Can we go back to the world? Absolutely. The encouragement from the Hebrew writer here is not just that we would not turn back to Judaism, but that we would not go back and turn away from God. Jesus is better, and we have access to the throne of God through Jesus Christ. You know, we have it so great today, especially as we think about this concept. Let me make a couple of comparisons here, and the lesson will be yours. Where did the psalmist look? Let me ask you a few questions. Where did the psalmist look? Well, it says here he's looking to the throne of God. Well, where is Jesus? The throne of God, seated at his right hand. What was the reason for the plea of the psalmist? Well, he was full of content. He was troubled by others. He was troubled by the world. And guess what? We still feel that way today. We felt that way last year through so many things. We've continued to feel that way. And if the pandemic ends and the world continues and all these things go on, something else is going to come along. We're still going to feel content from those who feel at ease. So yes, we still feel like the psalmist, but what do we have? Well, we have a high priest 
who understands. The Hebrew writer says here that he was in all points tempted as we were, so we have a high priest who understands, who understands because they showed contempt toward him. It's not just about Jesus in, in general or even the high priest, but think about his death as we already did a few moments ago and the contempt that he faced there. Could he not have cried out to God, have mercy for I am exceedingly filled with trouble and with contempt? Because he went through that, he understands. He gives us that access to come boldly before the throne of grace. What was the psalmist seeking? Well, he was seeking mercy. And what can we find? We can find mercy. We can lift our eyes looking up to God's majestic throne and find the mercy and gracious favor only he can provide. Then we're ready to face this world. I'll admit that the Psalm, 1, Psalm 123 is not one that I've studied in great detail before, but I'm thankful that it was written that we can say as the psalmist did there that we can look to God for mercy even though we are we, even though we've had more than enough, had more than enough of this old world, but we must look unto God. We must keep looking up to him for mercy. So the question this morning as we conclude our lesson is, where are your eyes? Are you looking up to God in heaven, sitting upon his throne with all of his justice and all of his mercy? We're about to conclude this lesson here and sing the song that's been selected that through its words we might encourage you, encourage you if you need to obey God's simple plan of salvation. You see, we don't have to offer the sacrifices. We don't have to partake of the feast. But we're thankful that once and for all time, Jesus hung and died on the cross and shed his blood so that we can come in contact with his blood as we are baptized for the remission of our sins. And the Lord will add us to his church. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, we'll be singing to encourage you. If you would like to know more about that simple plan of salvation, we would study with you as soon as possible. And I mean that because it is the greatest decision that we can make here upon this earth. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not remained faithful. Maybe you have not continued walking in the light. Maybe you have sinned and you need to confess that sin before God and maybe even others who are gathered here. You need to repent and pray for forgiveness. God is faithful. He is merciful. He is gracious to us and extends that gracious favor. He does so in one simple way, even right now, by allowing us this opportunity. We have God's mercy and grace this morning. We are still breathing. We still have blood coursing through our veins, and we are still here and have this opportunity. If you need to become a child of God, maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you in your Christian walk or in this life. We're thankful for God's mercy. If you need to make a change, would you consider doing so now as we stand together and as we sing?